Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio Network. My name is Brad Zollis, and Tom Cunningham asked me to sit in as your guest host today. Best wishes to Tom and his wife, Kim, as they take care of some personal issues today. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. I am the award-winning author of Liquid Leadership, which delves deeply in today's generational divide. You know that tension between baby boomers, Gen X, and Gen Y that is happening inside corporations these days? Well, I specialize in helping companies create a 21st century business model that gets all generations working together. I've also been an entrepreneur for over 35 years, starting my first business at 16, and my fourth company, K2 Design, was an entrepreneurial startup that I grew into a global brand with over 60 employees, an evaluation of $26 million, and an IPO on NASDAQ. You can find out more about me at liquidleadership.com. And that leads me to today's guest, Brian Smith. I'm more than excited to chat with Brian. Brian, you on the line? I sure am, Brett. Oh, I, I, I'm excited to talk to you, but you know who's more uh, excited that I'm talking to you? My I, wife. I bet, it's, I bet it's your wife. You got it. <laughs> Norma, when I told her, she's like, oh, oh, tell him this, tell him that. I was like, oh, you, relax. <laughs> uh, women go crazy over, over this uh, product, which yeah. we're going to get into. Uh, but um, when she found out I was interviewing you, she just she, now she's impressed. Everything else I've done in life, she's not that impressed. This, she's impressed. Cool. <laughs> now, before I read off your amazing accomplishments, Brian, I want everyone who's listening to grab a pen and some paper because uh, Brian will be sharing some of his wisdom on this podcast. And that is what makes our show, Journey to Success, different. We interview real entrepreneurs who have taken their entrepreneurial startup and turned it into a household brand. So without further ado, let me introduce Brian Smith. Graduating in 1978 as a chartered accountant in Australia, Brian came to California looking for the next big opportunity to bring back to Australia. While studying at the UCLA Graduate School of Management, he observed that there was no sheepskin footwear in the United States. With only $500 in capital, he imported boot samples and over the next 17 years built the UGG Australia brand into a multi-million dollar international enterprise. He sold it in 1995 and the brand has continued to grow to exceed a billion dollars in annual sales for the past three years. Brian is one of the most sought-after international business leaders in the country today. He is committed to teaching entrepreneurs how to leverage their most precious assets from within and to recognize and pursue their passions to create a fulfilling and successful life. Brian has authored the book, The Birth of a Brand, Launching Your Entrepreneurial Passion and Soul, is a sought-after keynote speaker and mentors small business owners everywhere. Please welcome to our show today, Brian Smith. Wow, thank you, Brad. You're welcome. I look forward to this. This is exciting. Let, right. Let's be honest. You were a surfer dude in California, am I right? That's because that's how it started out, yes. <laughs> and and luckily, I'm, luckily, I'm still a surfer dude. I still surf, so that's great. Excellent. So uh, what, I, what I'm really trying to get into, and this is for our listeners, really, and that is, here's, here's Brian going to school for business, and yet he's surfing during the day or at night, enjoying the life that California offers, and all of a sudden, you see something that's missing. And what is the story behind the story? That's really what I want to know, Brian, while you're out there in California. Okay, well, 
I, I'm going to take you back to when I was a chartered accountant. I, I, I studied to try and pass the exams for 10 years, and I finally did. And the last day I worked as an accountant in Australia was the day I graduated. And uh, <laughs> I, knew I, I knew I was not set out for a life in accounting or public accounting. So I had this, this, uh, this like epiphany one day. I was listening to a brand new record album that I just bought. It was Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. <laughs> I have that one. <laughs> and uh, the second song was, you know, the words were tired of lying in the sunshine, staying home to watch the rain. You are young and life is long and there is time to kill today. And I, I was thinking, oh, my God, that's me. He's writing about me. Right. And then it went on and said, but then you find 10 years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed mm -hmm. the starting gun. And... I just yeah. erupted in goosebumps and I went, oh my God, you know, and I thought of all my friends who are tracking onto partnerships in accounting and others who'd started their own businesses and I'd like been running on the spot for 10 years. And so I just, within a couple of days, I, I had booked my fare to California because all the new trends in, in Australia were coming from California, such as Levi jeans and waterbeds and all the surf brands and everything. And I was off to find my next big, big thing in life, you know, in California. And it was probably, oh, three months being in California, doing a lot of surfing up at Malibu. Um, I was waiting for my buddy to come down and pick me up. We were going to go surfing. And he, he brought along the issue of Surfer Magazine. And inside was a, a photograph of this. It was an advertisement with these two legs up in front of a fireplace wearing sheepskin boots. And I, and I got goosebumps again. I went, oh, my God, there's no sheepskin boots in America. And it <laughs> seemed like one in two people in Australia own some sort of sheepskin footwear. So uh, I talked to my buddy and just said, hey, we've got to go into business. You know? So that, that was the genesis of, of the idea. That's fantastic. And anybody who's listening, it, it really, it's almost like uh, serendipitous, uh, kismet, whatever. I had that same album, by the way, Dark Side of the Moon. Mm. And in the 70s, that was like an integral part of growing up uh, in that yeah, era. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you had to sit around for hours to listen to that. It wasn't the kind of music where it's just got this heavy beat. It's very, um, you know, cathartic and deep and yeah. all these things. And the goosebump part is what gets me because I've been in those situations as well where you look at a picture or you run into the right person and all of a sudden chills run up your spine and you realize this is a moment to take action yep this is a moment you, you, to do something you know what i think it is because you know if you, you can get it from the from the title of my book you know launching your entrepreneurial passion and soul you can sort of get the impression that i'm, I'm quite spiritual right yes. well i i believe those goosebumps is your inner being saying hey take notice you're on the right track Yes, right. I agree. A, I agree it's with a you. Very powerful message from inside. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you my little story. Uh, probably around 1992, I was uh, climbing mountains with a drinking buddy and a friend of mine. Uh, I had been at his wedding party, and uh, we used to have these conversations about what is God, what is uh, spirituality, what is all this right. stuff. And he just thought I was crazy talking about this stuff. And one night he tells me, he goes, you know what it is for me? It's standing on top of a mountain and it's silent. Right. And he goes, I guess that's the closest thing to spirituality I could say. 
that connects with what you're talking about. And I thought that was interesting that he said that because a year later he says to me, let's start a business together. And we're doing all the the left brain stuff that everybody does. We have this logical business plan and we had a list of names for the company and they were all very yuppie, nerdy names like Douglas Bradley Associates, you know, very Uh, (laughs) cool names. And we're about to leave the house and he's an avid skier and we're mountain climbing hikers and uh, we're about to walk out the door and we had probably written down 50 names, Brian. Yeah, And I looked up on the wall, and I had taken a picture of us at the top of the mountain. And he did this sort of victory pose when we were at the top of this one peak we had climbed that was only a mile high, but the weather was horrible. And I remember, you know, we we compared that to, well, what would it be like to climb Mount Everest or K2? Mm -hmm. And as he's leaving, I said, you know, think about some of these names. I mean, we might want to call it K2. And he just looked at me, and I looked at him, and we got chills yeah, up and down fantastic. our spine. I totally and, get it, yeah. And, I'm, and, I'm, yeah getting him, I'm getting him now listening to your story. Yeah, and, and the next day, that week, we literally went down to 60 Worth Street in New York City and registered as, as a partnership K2 right. design. And fantastic. from that moment on, we grew in three years to 60 employees and an IPO on NASDAQ. And... Anybody listening, this is, you know, it doesn't have to be all left brain. Passion, spirituality, follow your heart. There are moments in this life where you can't force it. It's yep. going to happen naturally. Yep. Now, my next question is, how did you decide to bring Ugg boots to America? I mean, the only place I saw sheepskin was when I grew up in Pennsylvania. You saw sheepskin liners for your car seats yep. <laughs> or you yep. saw them for coats that the farmers would wear in the wintertime or the hunters and they were considered the warmest thing ever uh yeah tell us. That's, well that that's funny because um it i thought the minute i saw that and got the goosebumps i thought oh instant millionaire you know but <laughs> but what i didn't realize is that americans don't get sheepskin the way australians do americans uh-huh. think it's it's hot prickly can't get it wet, sweaty, uh, delicate, you know, and, and Australians know it's rugged. You can't rip it. You, you, you can wash it and get it wet, and, it, and, and, and you can put, you put it on with wet feet, and it wicks the moisture out and gets them dry and wet, you know, warm. In, in, in. And so there was this complete difference. And, but what I learned, though, is, is that for every entrepreneur, you have to have a certain amount of ignorance or, or innocence um, going into these new ventures because if you knew all the obstacles going in, you'd never start. And you know, 90% of these businesses wouldn't exist. And so that was a part of the, the ignorance that I you know, launched on not knowing this difference. Um, and uh, you know, I, I started out you know, going to all the shoe stores and got completely shut out in California, maybe 300 stores. And then they were all saying, it's, hey, it's too hot in California. And, and I knew it wasn't because the climate's identical to Australia. Um, but I, anyway, I went to a show in New York City uh, and, and got a tiny piece of a, you know, the end of a table there near the toilets, you know, because I was a last-minute exhibitor. And right. nobody recognized what the product was. You know, they, 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 I may as well have had meat or car parts or something on the table because they didn't <laughs> get it. And, 
and on the way on the plane back to California, I'm thinking, well, why do all my buddies, you know, flip out over these? And I realized they were all surfers. And it struck me that every sort of every every California surfer who went to down to Australia on their surf trips would bring three or four pairs of boots back. And so within the surf market, it was really well known. So my friend and I just switched gears and we started going to surf shops. And wow. the initial, you know, we bought some samples, you know, and the, the initial interest was, wow, those are fantastic. Yeah, if you bring those in, you're going to make a fortune. And so that that really pumped us up and we raised 20 grand in capital, which we thought was all we'd ever need. And we bought, you know, 500 pairs in. And then we loaded up our cars and we went back to these same shops, you know, and, and it was, oh, well, yeah, you're going to be really successful, but we couldn't sell them out of this store because, you know, we just sell surfboards and surf shorts and thongs and sandals and, and, but, but don't worry, you're going to do great, you know? And it turned out that after, you know, going to every single surf shop in, in Southern California, our total sales for the first year was 28 pairs. Was exactly five, exactly a thousand dollars. But, but the lesson you know I learned from that is that that you know, even though UGG is a billion dollars now, it could never have got there without that first twenty-eight pairs, right? Yeah. And and so the the, the you know being philosophical, I, I've sort of you know come up with this this theme that that um, you know you, you just can't give birth to adults. And that's the the main theme in my book, which is that you know every business is conceived and then some action is taken. You know you've been through that with with your businesses, and then it just lies there, and it it seems to lie there forever, just like an infant in a cradle. And there's no amount of overfeeding or jiggling the cradle or urging it. It cannot get up and go to college. Right. It has to be an infant. And then eventually it'll hit the toddling stage, which is fun. You know, you get customers start, you know, getting interested in your product. And then it'll hit use, which is great. You know, tons of orders, production's good, sales are good, accounting's good, shipping and billing is great. And that's a fabulous period for every business. But if it's a really hot item like uh, Agua's, uh, it'll hit the teenage phase. And then, you know, everything hits the fan then because... Just like a teenager wants to be at every party there is, well, the UGG boots wanted to be, you know, for me, wanted to be in every store and people are calling and clamoring for it. And that's a really dangerous phase. I almost right. lost the business a couple of times there. But then the managers come and put the controls in and it matures. So, so even though we only sold 28 pairs that first year, it taught me a valuable lesson over the years as the business grew that everything has its own natural evolution. Wow. Well, I, I'm hearing so many things in what you're saying, and I hope people are taking notes right now because I'm hearing a lot of things. The maturity of a brand, turning it from a product and baby steps, moving all the way up into a household brand. Right. Uh, this takes time. This isn't something that's going to happen overnight. Right. Uh, and, and there's a maturity phase. It's just like raising a child. And really the other is, thing yeah. I'm hearing, it, this is the most powerful part of, of anybody who's listening you had the audacity to think big. Uh, you may not have seen it that way at the time, but you were searching for your market at the time. Yeah. And the market wasn't what you thought it was at first. The market started to develop as you went to these different places and realized, oh, there's where my customer is. 
Yeah, there's a great there's a great follow-on story to this if, if you'd like to hear it. Uh, sure, I would love it. Okay, so so we sold 28 pairs, and and but we'd bought 500, right? And these are in my third bedroom, so we, we <laughs> that would be a perfect time to go out of business and say it was a shitty idea. But it really, I was stuck with all this inventory. So my friend and I just loaded up our vans every weekend and went to the swap meets. And right. when I would when I would go surfing at Malibu. There was, uh, you know, in a parking lot, and I, I would open up the back of the van after surfing, and, and I had a tremendous business clientele coming in just from word of mouth, buying boots there. But you know, that next year our sales were at thirty thousand dollars, and so we started advertising in Surfer Magazine and Action Sports Magazine, and we'd, we'd hire these, you know, really pretty models and put them on the beach, on the on, on the rocks at Wind and Sea Beach, and perfect hair and perfect makeup and perfect clothing and perfect ugg boots on the on the rocks and um sales for the next year thirty thousand dollars you know so next year we hired more expensive models and more expensive photographers and did them up on the beach with the perfect hair and you know and sales thirty thousand dollars and i was just feeling like a real loser because i couldn't get into the mall stores and right. I was back in uh, in Chicago at the buying office of a company called Montgomery Ward, which was a big shoe retailer at the time yes. in the malls. Mm -hmm. And uh, I gave my best sales presentation, and he says, you know, he just was silent for a while. And then he goes, Brian, why are you here? And I went, because I want to get an order for your California stores. And he said, don't you get it? We're the elephants. We don't move till the mice are running around under our feet. And I instantly got what he meant was, you know, I knew I had to get all the retail, you know, the little independent stores in a frenzy before the malls were going to take notice. So, so I went back to California and I was having a beer with one of my surf shop owners and explaining my situation. And he calls to the back of the shop, you know, those little 13 or 14 year old Grammys were back there. And he says, what do you guys think of Uggs? And they all came out saying, Oh, those things are so fake, man. Have you seen their ads? Those models, they can't surf. <laughs> instantly, instantly, I realized for three years I'm sending the wrong message to my target market. And wow. so within a couple of days, I called up a buddy of mine who ran a, an amateur surf team. And I said, are any of your kids going to go pro soon? And he gave me the two guys. And I, so I started sponsoring them. And then instead of the expensive photographers, I just followed these guys with my own camera. We we go, you know, walking down to Black's Beach or Trassels, you know, and these are classic surf walks. And and I started running ads with these these young pros. And that next season, like within two months of me running the ads, we hit two, $250,000 just purely because I figured out the image. So So that goes back to your point that I was trying to find my market. Well, I found my market, but I was I was just alienating them with my with my images. So, so it was a really valuable lesson for me, and I eventually like, became became a really good marketer by by figuring out every ad I ran, I, I had to try and make the consumer want to be inside that photograph. You know, so you had the right product, the wrong message. You found the right target, wrong message. Anybody listening, take notes <laughs> because and, – and everybody thinks if I could just get into Walmart, if I could just get into Costco, if I could get my yep. brand in the major stores. No, it's a grassroots effort. If you can find the consumer or the person or the, uh, the, the, the user of your product that just loves it 
and just start selling to them. I've seen more traction from people going up to a snowboarder and say, hey, here's our line of clothing. And all of a sudden, the snowboarders are just wearing it on the slopes, and everybody's yep. turning around going, where'd you get that? You know, it's word of mouth. It's so true. It's it's completely organic. You, you know, you, the, the, in, in, in my book, I think I, I write, you know, you can take, you know, uh, five business plans, ten lawyers, and a bunch of uh, specialists, and put them in a room and and launch a business overnight. You know, but but that's like trying to put nine women in a room and have a baby in one month. It right. just doesn't work. You, the, everything has to be organic. And, and there's exactly. a big business out there that didn't start with this, this, you know, this this infancy and toddling. I want everybody to go out and get Brian's book, The Birth of a Brand. Go on Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, just get out there and buy it. Uh, the Birth of a Brand, and I love your tagline, Launching Your Entrepreneurial Passion and Soul. And the cover of this book is so cool. its I don't know if it's the sunrise or the sunset, but there's a pair of Uggs on the beach with the feet facing the ocean as it comes up. I think that is, is wraps up everything that you are in a nice little bow of, of an entrepreneur and a spiritual person at the same time. I think it's just phenomenal. Thanks a lot, um, yeah. So, so go out there and get that book. Let, let's keep digging in because I love these stories. Okay. And it, it really is, uh, what do they call it, kismet, uh, uh, serendipitous uh, moments, yeah, yeah. synchronicity. You're having a beer with a buddy and you yell into the back, <laughs> hey, what do you think of Uggs, you know? And... Uh, you know, it's it's amazing. And you also, this is something that you discovered. There was a season for your product as well. Do you want to talk about how you survived through those lean times? Yeah, well, there was, uh, the, the, the worst time was also the best time. Uh, this was a pretty good story too. The, the, we got up to about $2 million in sales and, and we kept outgrowing our investors. So I'd have to buy the old ones out and bring in new ones with bigger money. And uh, at this point, I brought in three new investors and we were all going to own 25% each of the company. And I brought the business and they brought the money. And uh, part of the deal, I didn't get my 25% until uh, I finished up this little trademark lawsuit. And... Uh, I was a sales rep for Southern California. So the first day I was out on the road after we moved the warehouse to Anaheim and I went down to Huntington Beach and uh, walked into the surf shop there and, and the guy says, hey, Brian, I heard you sold the business. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, I heard you sold the business. I called an order in and they said you don't own it anymore. I went, oh my God, what are they telling people? And I went next door to the Shell gas station and called up and uh, said, what, Neil, what are you telling people? And he says, well, it's true, you don't own the business. And I, my world crashed because I, I've seen myself as the CEO of this big multinational company one day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd worked, you know, seven or eight years to this point to get it, you know, to, to where it was. And uh, the. Uh, I went back to San Diego. I just quit work that day. I went back to San Diego. I pulled out the contract and read it and read it and read it. And I went, oh, my God, I don't get my stock until I do this trademark. And I I just decided, you know, for three days I was in depression. I was going, well, what will I do? You know, shall I become a business broker, a real estate agent? And eventually I figured, you know, well, I've come to like sales. And so what can I sell that, that could be really good and and again, in meditation, I just got this goosebumps and it was 
sell Ugg boots, you know. And so I, you know, ate humble pie and I decided to go back and, and just be a sales rep and not be an owner anymore. And uh, so I went out on the road and I was having a good time out there, you know, with all my surf retailers because we, we'd now become pretty good buddies. And after the first month, I went back into the warehouse and Neil handed me a check for 5000 bucks. He said, that's your commissions for the month. And I went, you're kidding. I'd never drawn a cent out of the business until this time. Wow. And the next month, I got a check for 10000 The next month, I got another check for 10000 And I started to look at this going, oh, my God, I'm not doing any invoicing. I'm not doing any purchasing. I'm not doing any shipping. I'm not doing any administrative stuff. I'm just out here having a good time with all my buddies and looking after their, you know, the, the inventory out here, and I'm making all this money. And what, what, the, what it led me to, to deduce from that was that quite often your most disappointing disappointments become your greatest blessings. Right. And, you know, had I, you know, when I look back at how depressed I was having lost the business, and now here I was having the best time of all, making tons of money and building the brand. Uh, it was just like, you know, the most incredible uh, turnaround. And my, 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 you know, it was my greatest blessing. And then by a pure fluke, I ended up getting 100% of the company back a few years later. So, so I, I guess the lesson for people is, you know, that there is always disasters that are going to happen. But if you give it some time and some proper thought, it's amazing how time will turn things around. I hope everybody got something out of that story because here you are, you founded the company and through a glitch in the paperwork, you no longer own it. And you could have been bitter, you could have been furious, and instead you turned around and you did the one thing that was missing from your brand, from your company, and that is someone who drove the sales into the stores. And that's yep. exactly what you needed at that it, time. It was, it was a fluke, yeah, because it was the passion to want people to just feel the comfort of these boots, and that was what was needed. And I was much better for the company out on the road than I ever would have been inside, you know? Exactly. Now, I have to apologize to you, by the way, and I know it's not your fault, uh, but uh, I have to tell you this story, and that is this. I'm a graphic designer by trade, right. and the first time I saw Uggs, my natural reaction was, well, I'm not getting any of those for my wife. <laughs> and, I, and I kept seeing women all over the place wearing them. And my wife, you have to realize, she's from the Caribbean, and she was raised in French culture. So she right. buys the best quality of everything. So I resisted for years, Brian. I swear, <laughs> please forgive me for this. Right. I didn't see the light. I didn't see the ways. I finally found a pair of Uggs that I just went, oh, those are, those are awesome. And they were designed almost like an American native uh, moccasin, a Native American moccasin with yeah. a three-quarter boot on there. And I got them for my wife. And on Christmas morning, here's this woman transformed, squealing like a child. And I thought to myself, now I see the light. Why did I resist for so long? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. The, the, the most common thing I've ever heard is, oh, my God. And that's yeah. the sound of someone putting sheepskin boots on for the first time. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it is about women. Uh, and any man listening who's married, who knows this, every woman's feet are ice cold. I don't know what it is genetically, but that's yeah. the way it is. And when my wife puts on her Uggs, 
she's in heaven. And I'm just like, why, why didn't I think of this before? So every guy listening, go out and get your pair, a pair of Uggs for your wife this year because it's astounding. Uh, I was amazed. So uh, what else do you want to talk about? I mean, this is, I'm, I always love to hear the details behind the story. And I'm sure you cover a lot of this in your book, The Birth of a Brand. Yes, but, pretty much everything I'm talking about is, is in there, but it's, it's really expanded in the book. You know, there's tons more right. examples and stuff, you know. Now, you know, a lot of people give up when they're, they're being an entrepreneur. Uh, a lot of the things that you've just spoken about would make the average person quit. And what kept you going? Now, I know it's your meditation, your spirituality, and some of the passion behind what you're doing, but was there anything else we should know? Yeah, there's... Uh, let me tell you another quick story to illustrate what, what really kept me going. Um, Neil, who, who was one of the four, ended up buying the other two out. And, and then after a couple of years, he and I got on really well. And we, you know, we were just about to get my stock back in the company. And he was in a motocross race and died. And uh, I had to w- step in and help his widow try and figure out you know, what, was, what was there. I, uh, we'd bought new cars and taken out insurance policies on each other. And... and uh, I was thinking that everything was going to, you know, rosy inside the company. But being an accountant, I, I became a forensic accountant and had to go in and recreate the whole system there and try and figure out where we were at. And the long story is that it it it, uh, it took six months uh, of me, be, you know, commuting to Anaheim, starting out, you know, and every day, which was you know four or five hours on the road. Then I got the train every Monday and came back Friday. And uh, I was like ill for six months because I was working. I, I knew the, the staff at the midnight shift at Bob's Big Boy because I'd always be there drinking coffee and, and working on schedules, you know. And it was the most trying time of my life. But eventually I figured out that, you know, the company had lost about $70,000. And it turned out that the life insurance policies we'd taken out on each other gave me the money to buy the business back from his widow. So she was made whole, and uh, and then I owned the company again. And but I didn't have enough, you know, financial capacity to to buy more product for the coming season. And uh, you know, my supplier had sort of done an end run on me, and he was starting to supply other people out there who were calling them, you know, the boots by different names. And um, you know, long story short, I did get a savior who came in at the very last minute. Uh, and bankrolled me for production. Uh, and even though we were late getting to market, uh, I was able to survive purely because of the loyalty of all my customers who refused to buy all the knockoffs. Wow. And, uh, and what kept me going through that period was, you know, I, I, I had this, these four little statements that I, 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 I typed them out from a book and I put them in the front of my daily planner and it has been transferred for 25 years into each, each New Year's daily planner. I've got this same little note, note thing. And here, here's what it says. Feast upon uncertainty. Fatten upon disappointment. Invigorate in the presence of difficulties. And enthuse over apparent defeat. And every time I would get really, really down, I would just sort of come across this. And I got to learn, you know, if, if things were uncertain, like where, 
you know, would I survive that year? Uh, that was what I was thinking the, the entire year. Will I survive? And that, I came to love the uncertainty of it. It became like a game for me. Wow. And the disappointments, you know, fatten upon disappointments. You know, I can't think of one bad thing that's happened where I didn't look back later and go, God, I'm glad that happened because look where I am now, you know. And so I, if things would go wrong, instead of being too disappointed, I'd go, okay, well, that's bad. What Now, what, what, what can I do with that? And always I came out ahead, you know, invigorating the presence of difficulties is, is standard. But enthuse over apparent defeats of beauty because – there is no thing as defeat unless you actually take the step to give up. I mean, you actually do give up, right? Because it's just apparent defeat. And it, life doesn't, and, and business doesn't sort of start at one point and rise in a direct line to the top of the, top of the chart. It's a series of cruising along flat, hit, a, hit an obstacle, learn how to overcome the obstacle like it's a plateau, and you get up on the next level of the plateau and you cruise along flat, hit another obstacle, get over that one, cruise along the next plateau. So it's a series of plateaus. And, and as long as you keep finding a solution for the problem, you'll never be defeated. And that's a huge, huge lesson for everybody listening, that, that defeat is, is, is not a real thing until the time you give up. Wow. That's that's intense, and I hope everybody's writing this down. Can you repeat those four uh, again? Because this this will help you overcome during those times when it feels yeah. very bleak. Yeah, they're in my book too. It's it's feast upon uncertainty, mm-hmm. fatten upon disappointment, invigorate in the presence of difficulties, and enthuse over apparent defeat. Wow. I swear it'll change you. It'll change the way. What it does, it takes the victimization out of it. You know, the poor me. Oh, why did this happen to me? And it puts you in control. Every one of those is a power statement. It puts you in control of your mind. Wow. I would write those down in a Word document and print it out and put it on the wall. I think that is phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Let's uh, let's shift gears. We only have a few more minutes left, and I really wanted to ask you because you're telling these fantastic stories of being in the trenches in the beginning, selling this brand, getting it out there, discovering who your target audience actually is, and how to communicate to that target audience. But as you're in hyper growth, how do you choose a team? Like I'm sure you remember that first employee that you hired. Yeah, it was uh, yeah a guy called Tom. He. He sent me a resume out of out of the blue, and he was like a clone of me. And I knew I needed somebody else on the road uh, because I, I still I because I was an accountant, I knew the administrative start of it. And uh, so he came in and took over all the trade shows and the sales and marketing and stuff. And that left me to figure out how do I make this a nationwide brand because surfing's great, but nobody in Minneapolis has read a surfer magazine. <laughs> so I had to figure out, you know, I, I found what do all the kids do in Minneapolis and, you know, back east while they play ice hockey. And, and I thought, oh, my God, you know, that, that's great because the moms have to go into those freezing cold rinks and sit there for an hour. And so that became a huge breakthrough. And snowboarding and skiing was another niche. But, but right. we weren't mainstream, you know. And, and it wasn't until I was, I was flying back from New York one day and I was sitting next to a girl who was reading People magazine and Us magazine and all these stars were walking out on the streets and it was describing what, you know, whose brand they were wearing. 
And I thought, how do I get into that? And so I researched and found a, uh, that there's a group of people in Hollywood called stylists. And they are the makeup artists and the hair right. stylists and the wardrobe people. And so I sent a letter out to, the, to a mailing list of about 400 and 40 of them responded. So I sent them boots. And before long, the, you know, the Uggs are showing up on sitcoms on TV and then I then started to see in the movies. But the best part was that they were being spotted on like Cameron Diaz or, you know, you know, all these stars walking around the city in New York or Los Angeles. And it was saying, Ugg boots, Ugg boots. And, you know, and uh, that began the, 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 the national craze of, of popularity. And because of that, you know, there, there was a, a way we were able to get onto Oprah uh, Oprah's best things, best picks for Christmas, Oprah's favorite things. And, we, you know, we had 20 minutes of, of just national coverage on nothing but Uggs for 20 minutes. Yeah. So th these things, you know, were serendipitous. And, and that's what really, really launched the brand into a, a mature business. Well, I think anybody who's listening who's an entrepreneur, uh, they always think that success is going to be when you shoot that magic arrow to the very top and you get the right person to buy your product. And that's not it. It's simple baby steps that you took to take that brand and get everybody at the bottom excited about it. And all of a sudden, like the, 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 the buyer told you, uh, we're an elephant. We don't buy anything until yeah. the mice are scurrying around us. Yeah. And I thought, you did just that. And don't worry about the big buyers. Don't worry about the big brands. Get them to come after you and yeah. call upon you. Yeah. I've got another favorite quote. The, the quickest way for a tadpole to become a frog is to live every day happily as a tadpole, you know, and, and <laughs> as long as you're just plodding away, living your life, trying to do the best thing you can with your business, you know, every obstacle you find a solution. As long as you keep doing a little bit more day by day by day, it, you know, one day you're going to look back and go, oh, my God, it, you know, I'm, the, I'm almost there. Wow. And you, you eventually got big enough that uh, you decided to sell Uggs to uh, Deckers, which uh, is a publicly yeah. traded company. How did, yeah. how did you know that was the right fit for your baby, your Uggs well, brand? Well, that's a great story. Remember I told you I was at Malibu selling boots out of the back of my van? Yeah. Well, a couple of spaces up was Doug Otto, who had a sandal business, and he had these triple-decker sandals. And, mm -hmm. and he called his company Deckers. And uh, we ran across each other year after year after year on the road, you know, just because we were sales reps, you know. And uh, he eventually took his company public when he, he got the Teva brand and the outdoor mm -hmm. market took off. And he went public on that. And he had tons of cash lying around. And my business had got up to about 15 million, looking like you know, the, the three orders was going to look for, for a $20 million season. Mm -hmm. And there were two things. Number one, I, I, I just didn't have the ability to uh, raise the finance for the production because all of the conventional bankers and investment banks are going, oh, those things are a fad, you know. Now, this is after 17 years, but they're still saying, oh, they're a fad. They won't oh. be around next year, right? <laughs> and so I couldn't raise money from the traditional finances. And the other part of it is the company had got quite big and I – I'm an entrepreneur and I love startups. And now we had a you know administration and they were having committee meetings and and you know I just was it was like pulling hair out for me that to sit through these these endless meetings on what color shall we do next year and 
you know, there's this horrible, you know, consensus to, to make a color that nobody likes, but it, <laughs> it, it solves the problem, you know. And so I, I, I happen to be in Atlanta going to a super show there, one of the biggest uh, sporting goods retail shows. And way down the other end of the baggage claim was Doug Otto. And I knew he'd just gone public. I knew he had tons of cash in the bank. And I walked down there and we saw each other and high-fived. And, and I said, Doug, you know, if ever we're going to do this, now's the time. And his company died every winter and my company died every summer. And so it was, <laughs> we, we both knew it was a perfect fit. We'd even talked about it before then. But I just said, now's the time. And we, we had the accountants talking to each other that that afternoon. So in in a way, I went public, but I didn't have to go through the agony of it. it oh. I just totally cashed out, you know, it was, and it was That's perfect fantastic. timing for me. I, uh, yes, uh, going public is uh, quite a headache. The due diligence yeah. alone uh, is about a two-inch uh, thick piece of paperwork that you have to fill out personally on your personal stuff and all this other stuff. So you really... I'm not saying yeah. you lucked out. I want everybody to understand this really was about relationships. Yeah. That's amazing. It is amazing. Everybody, please go out and get Brian Smith's book, The Birth of a Brand, Launching Your Inter uh, Your Entrepreneurial Passion and Soul. And Brian, how can uh our listeners get a hold of you? Um if my website is is briansmithspeaker.com that's brian with mm -hmm. a i briansmithspeaker.com and uh if you go there you'll see videos you'll see uh the ability to sign on and get a free chapter of the book to get a sampling of it mm -hmm. um there's always um you know ways to uh sign up for my i, I do a, a a two or three minute you know what i call brian's boots on the ground tip for the week <laughs> and I, I like that. I, I've got 51 of them that I've pulled out of my book, and I've, I've done a two, three-minute video on every one of them. And so you can get one of those for free every week. So there's a lot of value on going to my site, and uh, you know. And otherwise, the book's on Amazon. So just uh, find it there. Fantastic, Brian. One last thing: What would you want to tell some of our entrepreneurs and business owners that are listening in right now? Uh, that one thing that helped you get through it all? Okay, it's uh, belief in your product. If you really believe it, you'll, you'll, you'll figure out a way to overcome all the obstacles. And, and while you're doing that, you'll be getting better and better at, at understanding your product and your market. So just believe in, in, in what you're doing. And if you really don't believe it, find, find something else, you know? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Go out and get... The birth of a brand, Brian Smith, founder of Uggs, and an amazing guest today. Thank you so much, Brian, for your time on Journey to Success. Hey, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks a lot. You bet. Thank you. And everybody, take care now, and we'll see you on the next episode of Journey to Success.